Hello and welcome to NDA, the show where I guess I argue with creators about the creator economy. Hello and welcome to NDA. My name is Dave Wiskus and on this show I talk to my friends, my clients, my colleagues and contemporaries within the creator economy about, I don't know, things we can argue about. Today I'm joined by my friend and I believe everyone's friend, Patrick Willems. Hi, Patrick. Hey, Dave. It's uh, really good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited because uh, this is like the first non-coconut thing we've gotten to do in a while. And uh, I'm just really excited to talk to you about your content. You're really jumping right in the deep end, aren't you? <laughs> well, I mean, we knew we knew coming into this what we were going to talk about. So like, let's just get it right out there in the open. We did. I feel like, was it over the summer or something? At, at some point, we were having a version of the conversation we're about to have now. And I think you said, oh, wait, this is going to be the episode when you come on the show. Yeah. Yeah, this should be a podcast. Let's pause here. Yeah. And so we never really finished that conversation. And then scheduling, uh, a bunch of things happened. Then you got sick. <laughs> I say that like you're dying or something. You had like a cold. I lost my voice for about a full week. And um, that sounds it's, awful. It's still not back at full strength. Like I started shooting my new video yesterday and realized after a point, because I'm doing all like talking to the camera, like delivering a video essay. And I was like, ooh, I'm feeling my voice getting like a little worn out. Mm. I'm going to pause here and shoot more tomorrow. So it sucks. It really sucks when you have to talk on camera for a living and then can't do it. Yeah, that's kind of your entire livelihood. I know. And I also, I can't record podcasts with my friend and agent. I kind of enjoy that the word agent has stuck the way it has. We've never discussed this, I don't think, anywhere in public. But like an agent is somebody who, at least according to the state of New York, a talent agency is a company whose primary focus is procuring work for the clients. I don't get you work. No. That's not my... Not what I do. I'm more of a manager. But Dave, the manager, doesn't really play as a gag on the show as well. And so everybody's just, because of you, everyone just keeps calling me Dave the agent. The real joke in all of it is I'm not technically an agent. Well, I mean, kind of. It's it's muddy. It's the whole thing. Like, I was initially introduced to the company, you know, before it was Nebula as like, oh, this is basically an agency. Yeah. And you, yeah. you're the a, head a kind of, of agency. Right. Uh, like, agencies felt like just the simplest term for what I'm explaining it to, like my family and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you're the head of the agency and therefore yeah. <laughs> you're the agent. Yeah, I guess the argument I would make for regulatory purposes, we're definitely not a talent agency. For creator economy, hand wavy philosophical purposes, yeah, I would say that like in modern creator times, the purpose of an agency, like creators, creators do not need to have work found for them. You've built your own business. You do your own thing. The role of a talent agent is much more about finding opportunities. So if you expand it beyond finding work to finding sponsors and finding paths forward, the line between business manager and agent starts to blur a bit. So I guess in that sense, I would defend the agent title. But, uh, you know, if anybody from the state of New York is listening, we are absolutely not a talent agency. Exactly. And I'm not going to push it. And if anyone from the state of New York calls me up, I will say, no, 
Dave the Agent is just a fun nickname I throw around <laughs> casually. I don't even think there's like a real legal issue here. I just know that it's at one point we had to define the business and it might matter in some way I hadn't thought about. There might be some kind of tax implication. I don't know. Who knows? But hey, we're in the clear. The lawyer said it's fine. Oh, excellent. Thanks to Charles the lawyer. Thanks, Charles. He was at the night of the coconut premiere and purchased multiple Charles the coconut plushies. Multiple? Yeah, and we don't know why, other than maybe he wanted more than one Charles because his name is Charles. Okay, I think of two potential reasons. Yeah. One, he knew that they were going to soon be sold out forever, and they were going <laughs> to skyrocket in value. So he was really yeah, thinking all ahead. over eBay. Exactly. <laughs> If anyone ever resells a Charles plushie for more than its original price on eBay, that will like make my year. Uh, the other thing I was going to propose is that um, I have learned that the plush Charles are huge hits with babies. So potentially mm -hmm. as like gifts for yeah. friends or relatives who have recently had children, babies love plush Charles. Yeah, I think that was probably it. He said something about getting them as gifts. Maybe he had people in his life that were huge Charles fans. It's tough to say. Look, the plush Charles is adorable. That's undeniable. It squeaks. Everyone can agree that that's lovely. And let's be clear here. The squeaking, one of the best ideas you've ever had. <laughs> that was all you. I will not take any credit. You said we should put a squeaker in it. And obviously that was the right decision. I feel like so much of our working relationship could be boiled down to like a quick, I throw out a dumb, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we did blank? And your response is always, wait, can we do that? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. And then we go and do it. At one point, did we ever talk about this? We were going to do the Charles action figure. I don't think we've talked about this on mic. This is still, I mean, it's funny now because like in hindsight, we realized we could have done it. Oh, we had plenty of time. Yeah. We of we time. The only reason we didn't is because we thought you were going to finish the movie sooner. I know. We thought the yeah. timeline was all different because it was going to take so long to make them. But yeah, we wanted to do like sort of Kenner Power of the Force style action <laughs> figures. But the idea being that the Charles action figure would be part of a line of like the human characters. And so the Charles figure would have to be to scale to them. So it would be like... I don't know, half a centimeter tall, but come in this yeah. whole like packaging with then images on the back of like collect the whole set. Uh, with so it have like pictures of like a Patrick action figure and a Matt action figure that would never actually get made. Yeah, and he'd have like one accessory or something that was bigger than him. But I'm just imagining like the whole plastic bubble pack thing, but it's just this tiny little brown thing inside with painted on googly eyes. Probably not even very high quality. It's better if it's not in, yeah. in some ways. But it should be like a Luke Skywalker 1997 Power of the Force toy would be correct to scale with the Charl. That's what it should have been. And we thought this was hilarious because the packaging would genuinely be more expensive than the toy itself. And this is one of those rare instances where you should never take it out of the package. Oh, you'd lose it immediately. Well, not even that, but like it truly would lose value. There is no value in having the char. The whole gag is the disparity between the packaging, the ornateness and specificity of the packaging versus this like tiny drop of plastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you couldn't even display it. It would be so small. You'd put it on a <laughs> shelf uh, and it would look like a piece of something that had broken off. Yeah. I, for any listeners who don't know, Charles is a character from Patrick's videos. Patrick makes kind of movies about movies, explainer videos about movies that have their own 
built-in narrative within the structure of the video essays. I play a version of myself on the show, as many of Patrick's friends and compatriots do, and there is this long-running arc over the last couple of years, partially inspired by a vacation that we were on, but then fueled by COVID, about an evil interdimensional coconut robot thing named Charles who wanted to destroy our universe. And I'm just going to say, he was the key to our success. He really was. A coconut with googly eyes. Throughout the show, it was a series of these coconuts that Patrick would hollow out and slap googly eyes on. The final one used in production for the movie, Night of the Coconut, available now on Nebula. The final coconut used, the final production Charles is sitting on a light switch box here in our office. I love that. Still doesn't smell bad. Yeah, inside it does, but the smell has not emerged <laughs> and reached the outside world. I will say it's funny because at the start of this, you were saying, hey, we're talking about stuff that's not the coconut. And here we are 10 oh, minutes yeah. in yeah, talking about the coconut. coconut. Yeah. Well, we have to give all the coconut preamble just as fan service. That's true. Because uh, the thing I want to fight about today is any real Patrick Willems fan knows that Patrick isn't a huge fan of the word content being applied to the things that he makes or the things that, I guess, is it just you or, or things like the things you make? My very basic stance in simplest terms is that I don't like the word content being used to describe creative work, not just mine, but in general. Honestly, I get bummed out when I hear like my peers refer to their work as content. I say like, oh, 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 you know, I'm working on my content or whatever. I don't say this to them. I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to be so obnoxious <laughs> to run around policing how people refer to their own lives. But uh, also I, correct all of their commas and apostrophes. Exactly. People love that. I just personally don't like it. All right. So that's your stance. Mm -hmm. My stance is who cares? It's more nuanced than that. But before I offer any sort of retort here, why? Why does this bother you so much? Okay. So before I, I really jump in, there are two things I have to make very clear right up front. First of all, words are all made up. It's all basically meaningless. None of it really matters. So this is all silly. Also, on the exact opposite end, I think words do have power. Like choice of words do elicit emotional and psychological reactions from people. And I think, how to put this, I do think it is worth considering the words in which we use, especially when it comes to the stuff that we really care about. And I care a lot about my work. I care a lot about media, especially film. And so I'm not crazy about the word content being used to describe it. I'll try to condense this, like my general take on it, as much as I can, because if you let me, I could probably just monologue about it for an hour and it would be really messy and no one wants to listen to that. Yeah, famously, nobody wants to listen to you talk for an hour. Uh, well, well, usually I script it and then it sounds Fair. coherent. Uh, if I did an unscripted video, whew, that would be bad. So content, like the word in its most basic sense, basically refers to the stuff that fills a space like the contents of a bag. That's basically the way content was always used for a very long time. And then when it comes to like media, we're, we're getting into like, I don't know, the 21st century or whatever. My perspective on this is that referring to especially like online work, but referring to let's say the digital space. Content was a term that mostly existed in the boardroom being used by executives who were referring to like, oh, we need content to fill like real estate on the website or whatever. We've got to stick content on there because it needs to 
be filled. It is a space and it needs to be filled with stuff. And it doesn't matter what it is. We just need shit that's going to go on this page. Just disposable stuff that will be consumed by people. And it's kind Morum of- Morum ipsum. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure someone has charted the exact history of the evolution of like the widespread use of the word content. But I, I think maybe it just comes down to like the language that YouTube itself as a company uses, especially like you know, what what it sends to in like messages to users and emails and on the site and stuff like that. But content kind of like it, it, it traveled from the boardroom of like the soulless executives who would just want the content on their sites to make money and then began being commonly used by like normal people, the audience, the consumers. And now we're in this weird place where content is usually used to just mean Media that is online, often made by independent creators, which is weird because the thing is, all creative work, all art is technically content. It's all just stuff. But I don't think all content is art. And my feeling about the word content is because it's so vague and so amorphous and refers to literally everything. Like if you're looking at work that exists on the internet made by independent creators, a tweet is content. And also That's like- true. A video of mine that I spend like a month on and really put, whether you like the video or not, I put a lot of care and effort into trying to make a distinct, interesting, unique work. And then that's also content. And so it's so broad and so meaningless. But also to me, the word implies a disposability. Like it's just stuff that's there to be consumed and moved on from and not thought about anymore. And it's weird because we don't refer to books we read as content. We don't refer to like our favorite albums as content. We don't refer to movies that we go see as content. And so I'm just like, why do we have to use this word to just describe work on the internet that could be wonderful, moving pieces of art, but suddenly I feel like it's being devalued by throwing this label on it. Anyway, I can you go on forever. It's, it's reductive. I, I think it's reductive. And there's so many other like synonyms to use. When people tell me, oh, I love your content, I'm just like, I don't say this to them, but I think like, that's very nice of you. I'm glad you like it. You could have said, you like my videos. It's just as simple. You like my work. There are all these other things that you could say, and I don't know. It personally bugs me, but I'm also not going to run around policing people's language. If people want to say it, they're welcome to. There was a moment where I was very much in your camp on this, and then I started doing more public-facing interviews, and I realized that it's really hard to talk about what we do without some sort of collective noun. And I mean, you could file me as like, I am the boardroom, I'm literally the CEO. Or you could look at it as this is a creator built enterprise and I myself am the creator zero. In either of these contexts, it's hard for me to imagine how I would explain Nebula to somebody without using the word content in under 30 seconds. It's hard to talk about collectively the things that we make because Nebula isn't just videos because even videos has that same sort of, at a certain point, it's reductive. A video on Nebula could be a single chapter of an online course. It could be a two-minute explainer about, I don't know, packing peanuts. It could be a two-hour documentary. It could be a four-hour takedown video about a white supremacist. All of these things could be a video. Which of those things would pop into your mind when you hear the word video? Is it 
reasonable for somebody who makes TikTok videos for a living to be called a video producer and somebody who makes four-hour explainer documentaries on YouTube to also share that same title. This is rhetorical. We don't actually have to answer that. Right, but, but like, I, I see what you're saying. Right. It becomes tricky to talk about these things collectively without having some kind of like jargony shorthand to get there. And like I'm doing an interview talking about Nebula. I'm talking about videos. I'm talking about podcasts. I'm talking about classes, which classes are just videos, but they're a separate tab. We have videos and classes. Those are two separate things up at the top of Nebula or at the bottom on the app. We're probably going to at some point carve shorts out into their own thing. Different types of videos might get categorized differently. Like maybe longer form stuff like documentaries might get carved out separately at some point in time. But the fact that we have the merch store and videos and podcasts and videos can be any of a number of things. And podcasts, once we hit a point of scale, could also probably be classified as different types of things. What if it's a video podcast? What if we were on camera right now and we released a version of this to YouTube where you could see our faces when we were talking? Is that a video or is that a podcast? And when we talk about the things that go on Nebula, what do we call the things collectively? Content is just sort of the word that we have as a culture, as an industry adopted as the thing. And it might come from the boardroom. I think that like in online fan communities, maybe it was like 10, 15, 20 years ago, a similar kind of thing happened where everybody started referring to franchises or even individual movies as IP. And that's another case of boardroom speak being adopted yeah. by the general public. Right, right. Like maybe we'd read articles about this where it was referred to as intellectual property or maybe like slash dot culture from like the RIAA, MPAA lawsuits of the late 90s, early aughts. Maybe that came into public consciousness in a new way and these sort of legal or industry terms became kind of the way we shorthanded and talked about it to one another. IP is weird as a term if you think about it, but we sort of accept that that's the thing that we call that now. And it feels a little corporate speaky, but you can usually tell from context if the person saying it is a jackass in a suit or like a fan who just wants to go off about how much they love, I don't know, Aquaman or something. I mean, this all totally makes sense. But like looking at this from your perspective, you are the CEO and you kind of have to talk in technical terms and like pitch Nebula. And so... I don't mind it if I hear you describing what is on Nebula, because you literally have to talk about the contents of the site or of the platform. Well, I have to talk about like all of the different things that could be made and placed here. Like if I ran a store, a literal like retail store, referring to the items in that store as the merchandise or the products could be seen as reductive and diminutive. But in context, there's no good collective noun that encapsulates all of it. Yeah. I mean, these are the places where I will like make exceptions. I will even find myself once in a while in a conversation be like, I hate to do this, but literally this is a situation where I must use contents to refer to like, you know, usually a big amorphous entity or variety of things. I think like what I kind of like rub up against and get frustrated with is when it's used to label like specific things. If you're referring to like all the stuff on Nebula, I get why you might have to say content because there's a big variety of stuff there. If I'm talking about like what I make personally or someone is referring to what I make, it's not a big variety of stuff. It's one specific kind of thing. And so that's where, where I'm just like, why does it have to be content? Is it only content because it's on the internet? Because another thing that I run into that frustrates me about the term, and I realize that, you know, as you just pointed out with Nebula, when it comes to everything from 
two minute explainer videos to a four hour essay to a podcast. Like there's such a wide variety of creative work on the internet that it can be tough to find the right language to refer to it. But what frustrates me about content is to be very clear about this, while I am an independent online video creator, my main goal and interest has always been to eventually work in a more traditional media space to direct movies. And in the dealings that I've had with more traditional media outlets and production companies and producers and stuff like that, a thing that I've always run into that I found very frustrating is that a lot of people in the more traditional media space view online work and traditional media work as like completely different worlds where skill sets don't mm -hmm. really cross over at all. As if like, yeah. oh, so, okay, you know how to do cinematography and like can direct something, but it was on the internet. And therefore, those skills do not apply to doing literally the exact same thing. But if it were for like television or a TV commercial, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I can interject for just a second. Yes. I was recently pitched a Nebula Original project. And I won't say who it was. It's someone whose work I really love. They pitched Nebula Original and the budget they handed in was like 10x what it needed to be. And as we went through it, it was like, yeah, they wanted, I don't know, $80,000 worth of an editor. I'm making up a number. And like $100,000 worth of visual effects and all this stuff for basically a small series of explainer videos. And the show was ambitious and it would cost a little bit more than what we would expect to normally spend on a YouTube video. But as we went through it, it's like, I don't know, $10,000 to rent camera. We have cam We have cinema cameras, multiple of them. We don't need to spend $10,000 renting cameras. And the discussion that came out of that was like, well, yeah, but like we want to have three extra PAs standing around. We want to you know, hire this cinematographer. We want to do this, we want to do this. Because we don't want to just do it like YouTube level. We want to do it TV level. And there's this sort of assumption that in order to get TV level people, you have to spend 10 times as much. You can't just provide better resourcing to YouTubers and get something of higher quality. Like we're judging the merits of the actual produced work based on the destination platform or media that the people producing this normally work in. Like YouTubers can't make things of TV quality, right? Right. That's just impossible. Not unless they hire real TV people. Exactly. This mindset of like these two worlds being so completely separate is something that I find very frustrating as someone who would like to break into the other world. And I feel like the word content is just this extra separation between the two because it's like, oh, see, Patrick Willems, he's not a director. He's a content creator. Like, he doesn't make films. He makes content. Again, what I said earlier is technically everything is content. And so why is it that, like, I get this label, but... The director of, like, some movie doesn't. Like our friend Darren Aronofsky. Exactly. Our friend Darren Aronofsky. Can't believe I'm about to say this. The Whale, the upcoming film from Darren Aronofsky, poised to be a significant awards contender this year, is technically content, but no one's ever gonna call it that. And actually, no, can I pick a shittier thing? Because um, I don't... <laughs> I, so, something... Okay. You don't want to pick on Darren? Well, no, this isn't picking on Darren. I don't want to compare myself to him. I don't know. Let's say the movie Black Adam starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Technically, that's a piece of content, but no one calls it that. I'm like, why is it that just because the stuff I'm making is on the internet, you're using the same label for it that you give to, like, 
a cat video or a meme or, <laughs> or a tweet. There's one thing that I think is worth noting in terms of how we're talking about internet content, because if we're talking about people who make their living creating independent work on the internet, there are people who, for instance, they might be like an Instagram influencer or whatever, and they're posting multiple photos and stuff like that a day. And the way that we are meant to absorb digest, consume their work is basically to glance at it, think about it for three seconds, maybe like double tap so we like it, and then move on. And I feel like the people even making this will often admit like, yes, it is the individual pieces are fairly disposable. What matters here is the ongoing flow and like stream of regular new material all the time. And that I don't mind calling content as much because, again, it is more about like their model for their work is more about just constantly delivering a steady stream of material of stuff where the individual pieces, they don't matter that much. And then what I do and then what many of the people on like Nebula do is we spend a very long time trying to craft these individual pieces, which are basically like an episode of a television show. And we care a lot about making each one of those distinct and a thing that can function on its own and be shared with strangers. And that to me, I'm just like, when the individual pieces of work matter in that way, that's also a case where I'm just like, I don't think the content label really applies. If that makes any sense. Yes. What I'm hearing here is that you're fine with the word as long as nobody uses it on you. It's <laughs> it's not so I'm giving you shit. Yes. No, I, I I don't even necessarily disagree with that. I wouldn't use it for the vast majority of people on Nebula. Oh, uh, yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I think we are a victim of a very fast moving industry, a fast moving culture and a fast moving industry and a fast moving industry subset where it's already the case that technology is advancing at ever more rapid pace. And this enables new types of things to be made, new cultures to pop up. Some of it is problematic and you end up with like, I don't know, giant chunks of alt-right nut jobs all over the internet who seem to have found their voice and are taking that very seriously. But there's also a lot of really great stuff that comes out of it. The proliferation of technology, as much as I think that the smartphone is probably the worst thing that's happened to humanity in the last 80 years for a ton of reasons. One of the things that it's given us is like you couldn't have YouTube be as successful as it is without mobile phones and without LTE, 4G, 5G, whatever the hell, the faster mobile internet speeds. Those things make this technology possible. Without a smartphone, Twitter never catches on. Facebook never catches on. Not to the level that it has. And so from this, we have YouTube with shorts now. We have Instagram with reels and whatever they're calling their stories. That's what they call it. You've got shorts on, on YouTube. You've got TikTok. You've got like a handful of these things. Snapchat. Some designed to be scrollable, ephemeral bullshit, some designed to be share a picture with your friends and that has turned into somehow a culture of lifestyle brinksmanship. And all of these things are kind of emergent phenomenon when you just lay the foundations of mobile technology, people build stuff on it. And the way, the speed at which that stuff is being created and those cultures are being created, the language hasn't had as much time to evolve as it has in other mediums. So when cinema was invented, you could show a series of photographs in rapid succession, looks like a moving image, it moves, movie. We're going to call that a movie. 
right? That evolves over the next, what, 120 years. And it's like there's so much of our shared cultural history revolves around that medium that we understand it. But that word means something to us beyond just it's describing an image that moves, movie. At one point, we called them talkies. To have a word like that, which is kind of dumb in its own, but has, has grown to mean something so much more, you can call it a movie, you can call it a film, and we could argue that one sounds more prestigious than the other, but both are perfectly acceptable. Radio literally just describes the waves being used to carry the signal. Television, a little bit later, these are images that are being televised. Okay, so television, that's, that's what we're going to call it. TV. We'll shorten it. TV. More recently, podcasts. This one is especially dumb. Podcast is very dumb. It's dumb, and I hate it for a bunch of reasons, the biggest of which is that it refers to the device that people use to listen to them. And now the Zoomers are calling them pods, which is especially ridiculous because out of pod and cast, you hang on to the part of the word that refers to the thing that no longer exists. Call them casts? I, I don't know. Nobody had a better word for podcast. That's what people called them. So, like, okay. There wasn't a better word. This word is dumb. We're going to use it. And then 50 years, 100 years from now, nobody's going to think it's dumb anymore. They're just going to accept that that's the word for this thing. The same way that if you take your phone out right now and you unlock it and you go to make a phone call, the picture on the icon for the make a phone call button is a picture of a device that you no longer own. Most people no longer own a thing that looks like that. That's just the phone icon. That thing means phone. It no longer is a phone, but it means phone. And so over time, these things kind of change and evolve, and we accept the terms. In our industry, in our corner of the industry, things are moving so quickly, and it's a culture and an industry driven by primarily young people who, in many respects, like to cosplay as successful adults or smart, savvy business people. That's how we end up with some of these crypto scams is because they listen to, I don't know, Tim Ferriss or something, and they decide they're business experts, and they totally understand all of the secrets to growth hacking, and you end up with these, I don't know, 40 tweet long threads of bullshit just trying to sell you a course. Everything's a funnel, Patrick. Everything's a funnel. It's true. When you live in that world, and you're using tools built by sometimes big corporations, but for a culture that is driven by young people who aren't super experienced, and we're all just trying to like figure out how to talk about this stuff. I hate the term creator economy. I think it's stupid. And yet you have to say it at the start of every episode of the show. I have to say it a hundred times a day because <laughs> that is the best way to describe what we have here. Yeah. I hate the term, but it works. I don't really personally love the term content either. If I have a real argument here, it's that I don't think that there's a better word to explain what it is that needs to be explained with that word. I think that the kids, the youths, youngsters, the whippersnappers, they've adopted this word and they've sort of taken ownership of it in a way that it means something to them that is different from what it means to you or I. And most of all, I feel like it's just a losing battle. That word is going to stick. It's a losing battle. And But Dave, I'm going to die on this hill in this battle. <laughs> That's how I'm going to go out. Okay, that's fine. The real joke of this is I don't disagree with you at the core. I also think the word is kind of dumb. Even with IP, you can change a couple of words in a sentence and have that go from sounding perfectly reasonable to super stupid. If you say the sentence, Disney owns a lot of IP. Okay, yeah, totally reasonable. That's a sentence I can get behind. If you say Disney has some great IP, that sounds kind of dumb. That sounds reductive. You sound like a sociopath. <laughs> But this is how like a 20-year-old who fashions themselves to be a business expert would say that. 
This is a totally normal, common way to say something like that now. And while I think it sounds kind of dumb and a little bit child wearing their dad's suit, I also understand that if I'm going to communicate what I want to communicate, I have to accept that sometimes I drop the G's at the end of words that end in G's so I can sound a little bit more relatable. <laughs> no, this all totally makes sense. And look, I'm fully aware that I am basically just being a grumpy old man here because <laughs> I'm yelling at the cloud. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I watch way less YouTube than I think every other creator I know. I'm a person who still mostly thinks in terms of traditional media. The vast majority of my media diet is traditional media. It is movies and television. And then I like put YouTube on basically while I'm cooking dinner. And my thing with content is because I spend a lot of time just paying attention to film industry related news, a thing that I am endlessly obsessed with. And what I was saying before about, to me, the word content devaluing the work and making it sound disposable where it's all just, you know, the same shit, nothing matters. It's all of equal value. It's a thing that I've been kind of noticing happening specifically with the film industry over the past several years, especially with the rise of streaming. I'm like rankled when I hear someone like refer to what I do as content. It's not a major issue. It is like a pet peeve, you could say. But I think the larger thing, and I hope I can articulate this somewhat coherently, is the way that a lot of the major studios seem to be shifting with their business models and stuff like that. And I think you're going to look at something like Netflix as like the most obvious culprit here, which is basically they have this giant media library. They have like a million TV shows, a million movies. Some of these are acclaimed, beloved classic movies from the 70s. And then you've just got, I don't know, basically just like direct-to-video garbage that they produce for a few bucks. And the way... Netflix is designed. It's not too dissimilar from YouTube in that it basically, it's all algorithmic. It's designed to basically just make you keep watching forever. And mm -hmm. so they keep recommending things to you that are vaguely similar to the stuff that you've watched before. And then when something ends, they'll autoplay more stuff that is vaguely similar to stuff you've watched before. Don't you want to be hooked up to a feeding tube for the rest of your life? You never have to think about your content decisions anymore? Ah, just hook it to my veins. Just pump you full of content at all times? Well, Dave, this is what I'm getting at. The way Netflix seems to approach this stuff is, and you look at like the bizarre ways they will, I can go on about Netflix forever and spoilers. Wait, wasn't this the central villain premise in Peacemaker? Force feeding this creature forever so that it keeps producing the thing that you want? Oh, yes. Yes, basically. Which is very funny huh. because earlier this year, the new head of Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav, a guy who, as we all know, has made a lot of really cool, smart decisions <laughs> with his company this year. Uh, I remember he was doing this keynote presentation and him just like a big like line of that was, we're in the content business. We're all about content. But basically like the way Netflix designs things is like earlier this year, the head of Netflix was 
was like, we're going to stop making what what he referred to as vanity projects like Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, a movie that, you know, netted them like lots and lots of like Oscar nominations and instead focus on things like several sequels to Red Notice, the most like written by an algorithm movie I think ever made. And the way Netflix tends to treat stuff is even though they'll make good stuff now and again, it's all just content and they're not trying to get you to watch good things. They're just trying to get you to watch Netflix forever and everything there is basically disposable to them. And then contrast that with streaming services like Mubi, an occasional sponsor of my videos, but I'm not biased toward them because of that. Not a sponsor of this show. Nope. So if you were to go and sign up using a code that you found in one of Patrick's videos, he would benefit from that, not this show. It's true. It's true. Also, where I'm going with this, Dave, I'm going to be praising Nebula in a minute, so buckle up. Oh, good. But then the way like Mubi or the Criterion Channel approach things, and these are the stream platforms that generally tend to aspire more like a bit more of like an emotional connection with their audience, is that they're all curated, is that they actually have human beings put together like playlists and groupings and collections of films that are not just like, oh, an algorithm designed to make you watch forever, but actually like, oh, how do we introduce you to new things that you might not have seen before? Here's a thing that we think you might like because it's good not just because it vaguely resembles a thing that you already watched. And this is, I think, one of the things that I like about Nebula. And I pro- oh God, this is just a Nebula commercial now. But like, it's the difference between Nebula and YouTube in that it is curated. It's not just like throwing shit at you forever to just have you just like turn into like a brain dead zombie and just keep watching stuff on autoplay. But it actually does like, oh, you go to the Nebula homepage. You like Nebula doesn't treat it like content. That's what I'm trying to say. Nebula actually like cares about and promotes and highlights like actual distinct interesting work and it's not just this endless rabbit hole of just stuff that you consume forever being shoved down your throat. Did that make sense? This makes perfect sense, and it's handy. I don't usually get to call this out, but this show's producer, Eric. Eric, you're on, right? I sure am. Hello. Hey, look, it's Eric. Eric is one of the people who is usually like what you and PJ, right, doing all of the work to come up with the featured rails? Yes, yeah. All those collections are human curated. Those are like ideas that that Eric and PJ come up with. Can you uh, just give us a little bit of an explanation of how that works? Yeah, so we basically look at the calendar and see what types of recent videos have come along, see if there's kind of something, a through line we could maybe find with some older videos. There's a holiday coming up. We did one for Halloween with a bunch of Halloween songs, Halloween movies stuff like that. So we just try to find something that is either related to videos a number of the creators are making or seasonally appropriate. So basically, it's the opposite of the YouTube trending page. Yeah, although I will say that there is a human curation element to trending. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about this because of course, I'm under NDA from YouTube on some of this stuff. But basically, it's like there are algorithms that find the trends and then humans will make sure that the things that float up are not just like Logan Paul suicide videos. Although I believe that one actually did make it to trending. So the system doesn't always work. Right. It's funny because, you know, in the early days of YouTube, there would actually be like a human curated front page with like recommended stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it just got impossibly large. And there's no way that that could really exist anymore. Well, I talked to our friend Todd. The algorithm himself, Todd Bupre, who runs the discovery team at YouTube. Literally, he runs the YouTube algorithm. I was telling him that as we think about 
how we want to build recommendation systems, the two use cases that we tried to think through, the way we see it is one of two things is going to be true. Either you have just showed up to the platform for the first time that session and you're looking for the first thing to watch to start you down your daily rabbit hole of content being fed into your mouth or you have just watched something and you're looking for the next thing. And those are kind of two different use cases. Like in one case, we understand the mood. Like we have enough context and information to read the room and try to make some assumptions about what you might like next. And we are building systems for this. You know, some behind the scenes here is we want to do a thing that isn't just like pure algorithm force feed you with bullshit. A lot of what we're building will factor like when creators upload their videos, they might include recommendations and we may highly rank those amongst the things that might get recommended to the next person. So giving preferential treatment to the person who made this thing thinks that if you like this, you might like this next thing next. But then the trickier part is like, if you just show up, how do we know? What information do we have about you without getting like too personally identifiable or too gross with it? And what he was telling me is that they see it the same way. The trouble is that, and these are my words, not his, the average quality of a Nebula video is just so much higher than the average quality of a YouTube video. And I don't think that's even a matter of opinion. That's just fact. When anybody can upload to YouTube, the bar is just lower. So the curated element here, I think, is really important. The algorithm is evil thing, I don't buy. I don't think that Nebula would be ruined by an algorithm. I think that it's more about like the way we understand our users, the way we understand our audience and the kinds of things that we even have in inventory to show them. That just naturally makes the conversation different and hopefully better. Yeah. To your point about the importance of curation. Yeah. I think what I'm kind of realizing here is that as much as, you know, I have my personal little silly beef with just the word content, the thing that I really care about is what the word content seems to imply about the work and the way we think about creative work, where it's like, is this just a piece of disposable internet real estate that is equivalent to anything else that's just meant to be like thoughtlessly consumed? Or is this a thing that like, <laughs> you know, human beings put care into? And is it being like presented and curated by human beings who actually care about like watching good things and introducing other people to good things? Like that's really just what I care about because the thing about the word content and following that to like its next logical steps is it can sound more and more dystopian to say just like, oh, I am a content creator creating online content to be consumed by the masses. It's like it's <laughs> like that. That sounds very dark and so soulless. And I'm just like, I don't want to get to that point where it's the future and we wake up and I don't want us to turn into the people in Wally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who just consume who like like the same content every single day and that's how they live their lives. My feelings about this like are partly about just like I guess like my little world of internet video creation where I'm just like a video essay about a movie is not equivalent to like a reaction video to a trailer for that movie. Like there's different things and we should have different language to like separate these things and curate them because I do think it's important to differentiate between different types of things. But and also, I think about this, like skipping ahead several years in the future where I'm just like, as it's very clear that a lot of the studio heads that produce 
you know, like like movies and TV are largely thinking of the stuff they produce as just content. And it really does seem like and I should say I've been working on this long video about American cinema of the 1980s. And in the research, it's been very clear that so many of the more troubling aspects of like current cinema and things that we complain about a lot all kind of began in the 80s. And especially this shift toward like movies as products and IP being king and all of those things. And I think a lot of this is dictated by like, you know, heads of major studios. I, mean, I feel like all you have to do is look at like the list of like the top 10 highest grossing movies of each year, starting in the 70s and then going through to today and just clear like, oh, wow. Yeah, people became conditioned to be dumber because of the stuff that they were given repeatedly and just like the average quality of things just declined over time and got more and more like products and less and less like art. And that's it. I feel like call it whatever you want. I just don't like thinking of the stuff that I make and the stuff that my friends make as just products to be consumed and then never thought about again. Well, using your example, of the way cinema films have become more productized. If somebody were to describe a person, their job as filmmaker, you can understand that some films are cheap adaptations of video games directed by guys who would rather get into a boxing ring and punch online critics. And some filmmakers are people who make the tree of life or whatever. There's a wide range of different things a filmmaker might make. A filmmaker might make porn. A filmmaker might be wildly on the other end of the spectrum. They might make films specifically for children and families. They might be Darren Aronofsky, who makes films designed primarily, it seems, to upset you. Any one of these things could be true. You understand fundamentally through a range of context and history that there's a wide range of things that could mean. And so you don't inherently apply negativity to the word. But if somebody says content creator, the difference there is that the wider perception is that content creator might be a lower tier, lower value job. And the perceived range of quality goes from I post random bullshit on Instagram to I make dumb YouTube videos. There's no high art that could be baked into that label. Do you think that for you, if the range were simply wider in public consciousness, that would be enough to get you more cozy with the word? If it were wider? Yeah, like in film, a film can be a total piece of trash or it can be a genius level masterpiece. In content, we don't really see that same range. The difference here is that you're distinguishing in film just in levels of quality. But like you put an ooey ball movie as in, you know, I don't know, what is it? In the name of the king, a dungeon siege tale or alone in the dark, you know, <laughs> like shitty movies, basically everyone would agree, but they're still- But that's a movie. Oh, but it's still clearly a work of the same medium as The Tree of Life. It is still a narrative film that uses the exact same crafts and skills and has like the same sort of like form behind it. And it creates a work of like vaguely similar length. It's basically like saying like, oh, you can buy like a $5,000 chair or you can buy a really shitty chair made by someone who does not have good carpentry skills. They're still creating the same basic thing. Right. Is furniture the same sort of word? Furniture can be cheap 
shitty things. If I said I'm going to the furniture store, you're probably getting a picture in your head that has more to do with the way you see me than it does with the way you see the abstract concept of furniture. Right. But here's the thing. They're still working within the same medium. My thing with content is what you're talking about where it's like like one of my videos, which is, you know, for lack of a better term, we'll say it's a video essay. It is a piece of scripted film criticism in video form. That is like fundamentally not the same medium as a Jake Paul vlog. It's just not the same thing. My thing with content is just that it's like, it's too broad. And I'm sure, you know, you run to this frustrating thing too, where it's like when we're explaining what we do and the industry we work in to people who are not in that industry at all, it's why like, like both of us are not crazy about the word YouTuber, like largely because it just ties you to a specific platform owned by a giant corporation. And that's an annoying way to... Like, I don't work for Google. Yeah, I don't like that term because I don't like giving credit for our work to a trillion dollar mega corporation who we don't hate them. We love YouTube. They're great people. The people that we know over YouTube, lovely. But why are we giving them credit for our work? Exactly. So we don't like that word, but you say that to a lot of like normal people. A lot of my friends who aren't in our industry, their perception is like, oh, aren't YouTubers just those like monstrous people who are only ever in the news if they're, I don't know, filming dead bodies or embroiled in some like sex scandal or something <laughs> like that. And it's the thing where it's like, no, like this is a giant industry. If someone in the film industry turns out to be some awful creep and it makes headlines, everyone doesn't say like, oh my God, literally every single person who works in film is a monster. And yet because these words like content and content creator and YouTuber are so general and so vague that they lump us all together. That's part of why I don't like the word YouTuber, because I know a lot of people who, when they hear that word, their perception is just like, oh, YouTubers are all pieces of shit. And um, and it, it's just it's just so vague. You you know, a lot of people who feel that way. Um, Yeah, I, that I might I, have more to do with you. No, genuinely, it's a thing where I have friends who will introduce me to people like at a party or in San Francisco, and say, like, oh, Patrick's a YouTuber, but don't worry. He's like the one good one. He's not like all those other <laughs> ones. That's the thing with content. It's just it's so vague. It covers everything that to me, it's just like I would say that that film could be the same thing. A Miyazaki movie and the Blair Witch Project. I guess it's kind of the same medium. They're still both ninety-minute narrative films that are telling a story using the basic craft of film. You think that one of your videos and a Jake Paul vlog are further apart than any two films? ever made. If we're talking narrative films, like as opposed to like a documentary, yes, I do. Yeah, is a documentary a film? If you make documentaries, are you still a filmmaker? Oh yeah, totally. Genuinely, I think my videos are probably closer to like written film essays than they are to a Jake Paul vlog. They're also closer to like a traditional narrative film because there is a usually like a five minute narrative film component to them using like traditional cinematic language. Right. I still think that my assumption from earlier that if people who were traditionally referred to as YouTuber or content creator were widely seen as being creators of important high art, then those terms would not be as offensive. I think part of the issue here is that the range of quality that you assume as a possibility when somebody says YouTuber or somebody says influencer or content creator, you assume kind of lowest common denominator. I don't think you're wrong to assume that. I would assume that. It's part of why I have issues with these words. But what I'm exploring here is, is it possible that if the perception 
that like all of the color around these terms were different. It may not be the words themselves, but rather the things that those words evoke. Oh, yeah, totally. And the way that our culture has decided to like generally interpret those words. And I mean, this gets back to like what we were saying at the very beginning. Like, yeah, words are, you know, all just made up. Obviously, there's different versions of words in, you know, every different language. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you use certain words and people have certain affiliations and connections with them and they think certain things. And so you say content creator to a bunch of people, they think a specific kind of thing. And I'm just like, I think we really just need more words. Content is so vague that we've got to start narrowing it down a little bit and like dividing up in the way that like, oh, you can say an artist. Like artist is a pretty vague term, but then there's like a painter, a sculptor, stuff like that. You can say a musician, but then there's like, oh, a guitarist, a drummer, things like that. Content creator is so vague. I guess there are like vlogger or video essayist. I don't know what the term is for someone who makes cooking videos. <laughs> Maybe we need one. Maybe. This might just be a function of where we are in the maturity of the industry. Like I was saying a little bit ago about it's all moving so fast and everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of the people powering this stuff are so young that the sort of grown up words get slangified and adopted and we recycle language. A lot of this stuff is being, I wouldn't say pioneered, I'd say millennials had more to do with pioneering it, but the, taking the ball and running with it, a lot of that is the Gen Z folks, the Zoomers, a generation so inherently derivative that the name for that generation is just boomers, but with a Z. Maybe there's something to that, where everything that this generation has is something that has been remixed and repackaged to sell them. And they recycle these terms or they try to use terms that are already understood because they're just grabbing stuff off the shelf and trying to build something new out of it. I don't think it's purely a generational thing, but I do think that that partially drives it. I think that if we wait long enough, we will get those new terms. We will get those new words. The kids historically always, every generation, loves inventing new slang for shit. That's just going to happen. And so the people who self-identify as cooking video creators, eventually they will find a thing to call themselves and will have that. But until it enters the public consciousness, how do you address a person outside of the creator economy in a way that they can understand what it is you're talking about in the smallest number of words? I don't know, but that's a good question. Like, how do you describe your job to somebody that you just met? It was funny, Dave. I was literally like, if you hadn't ended what you were saying on a question. I was about to give you a question that's basically the same thing. I was going to say, <laughs> Dave, when you are a guest on podcasts, how do you like to be introduced in terms of like... like Dave the agent. <laughs> but in terms of like job description, like how do you want them to refer to you? I'm genuinely curious because you also have a funny job. Yeah, this one's tricky because like... I don't know. Do I order my title based on importance of facts for person to whom I am communicating? Like, does it matter which audience is hearing about it? I spend most of my time being the CEO of Nebula. Is that just what I am? Historically, I've spent most of my time being a musician for several years professionally. And I would say that artistically, that is the most valuable collection of things I've ever made is music. Am I a musician and then the CEO of Nebula? Am I a video creator? Am I a podcast? I'm on a podcast. I'm podcasting right this very fucking moment. Am I a podcaster or am I first and foremost the CEO? I don't know. Things can be many things. And one of the cool things about the internet is that you can just make all sorts of different stuff. I like making different stuff. 
making all kinds of different stuff gets me out of bed in the morning. And it's why I started doing this sort of work to begin with is that the people who make this stuff didn't have the best tools. One of those tools, I think, is language. I think that having clear terms for what we do and who we are and making sure that the terms that we use to describe ourselves and our work add value or at least communicate value, I think that's important. On that front, I don't disagree with you. I do think that when it comes to the word content, if I am a content creator, am I a content producer? Am I a startup CEO? Oh, God, fuck that. That sounds toxic as shit. Exactly. I hate those people. Do I want to be a... No, because you get all these images in your head of like, I'm going to wear a blazer and a t-shirt and I'm going to say bro a lot and I'm going to burn through tens of millions of dollars of VC money before either being acquired or failing my way into an even higher paying job. That's what tech CEOs do, right? Yeah. Tech startup CEOs do. That's not what I do. So do I want to be grouped in with those people? No. Do I want to be a media company CEO? That's That's also its own set of problems. I don't want to be the suit in the room. Usually I'm not. I spend most of my time having conversations with or hanging out in person with people in their 20s or early 30s who have never had a real job before and who like really like making videos on the internet and started making money at it and trying to help them understand how to not let that ruin their lives. So like, how do I describe my job? It really depends on the audience. And I try to do it whenever possible in a way where I'm communicating aspects of it, even through just the style in which I'll say it. I've learned that being super colloquial, especially if I'm a guest on a podcast or if I'm in an interview, I was recently, I can't say where I was. I was recently in a boardroom having a conversation with people who are basically interviewing me as part of a larger partnership, a neat thing we're doing. <laughs> now everybody's wondering. It's not as exciting as whatever people are imagining. So imagine something really exciting and we'll pretend it's that. So basically Nebula is acquiring Disney. Yeah. Yeah. The whole Bob coming back thing. I requested that. <laughs> it was part, it's part of the deal. I'm in a boardroom talking to some people and they had a million questions for me about what I do, what we do. And I made it a point like I literally went in wearing a suit. I was pretty sharply dressed, if I may say so. And in spite of that or intentionally because of that, I made sure to swear a little bit more than you might expect would be appropriate in that situation. I try to speak with a voice that accurately represents and conveys. I am a smart individual who knows what I'm talking about, but I wasn't stuffed into this suit by a machine that needs me to say these things. Mm -hmm. I am here of my own volition, expressing my opinions as much as I am facts. So this is kind of a long meandering answer to the question, but I think that how we say the words matters as much, if not more than the actual words we choose. If it's in a tweet, then like, I don't know what the fuck I'd say. What you're getting at, and I feel like what we've been talking about a lot is just, it's important to be aware of the perception that these things have. Like you said, you made a point of adjusting your language, kind of like because you were aware of the perception that you being dressed like that might have and that someone in your position might have. And so I'm very interested in all of this because I feel like to get back to one of the very first things you said here, this is a very young industry that's evolving very quickly mm -hmm. and not all the language is in place yet. I know like I kind of realized to answer my own question about how I asked to be introduced on podcasts. Actually, it's always just filmmaker and video essayist. I wish there was just one single thing I could say, but I feel like saying that is so much more both accurate and descriptive than saying like, 
content creator is. And that's what I've kind of figured out like, okay, this is what I like. These are terms that I think are accurate and that have what to me are the right like connotations and associations and will give the perception that I personally would like and feel comfortable with. I think we need a term. It's not that a collective noun necessarily is the problem. Your example of artist, I think, is great. It has the exact same issues in terms of language functionally, the exact same issues as content creator. The difference is that artist as a word carries prestige where content creator does not. Art and content, they kind of act the same way, yet one of those words has prestige and the other does not. And so maybe part of the solution here, if there's a thing that we can actually affect change on, maybe it is doing things that change the perception of the level of prestige the word has. This is part of, I think this show always turns into an ad for Nebula. Part of what we are trying to do, oh, fuck it, it's free. Part of what we are trying to do here is build pathways to mainstream acceptance, build pathways to collective consciousness, that sort of household name status. Like the first YouTuber to have household name status has already happened. If you define YouTuber as person who started their career making videos on YouTube and still for a living makes videos that go to YouTube, Justin Bieber counts. Yeah. That accurately describes Justin Bieber. He is a household name. So the first one we've already got, we're waiting on the second one, I think. I don't think anyone's hit Justin Bieber level starting on YouTube since Justin Bieber. You can make arguments about, well, Jake Paul or Logan Paul, but like maybe some people know who those guys are, but those are not household. Those are not Justin Bieber level household names. I'm pretty sure my parents don't know who the Pauls are. And you know what? I'm jealous right. of them there. They would assume like Ron Paul and Rand Paul. Right, exactly. Different kinds of problems. But if you can imagine a future where when somebody says YouTuber, they think, this person who makes really cool and interesting art, if you can imagine that that is possible, or when somebody says online content, the image that pops in their head is not dumb random free shit made by a bunch of random motherfuckers on the internet who had cell phones and a signal and were goofing off, which that's not invalid. What those people do, what we do in our free time for fun is all acceptable and valid. But I do agree with you that it's not the same thing. But I think that the change that we could actually affect here would be to build bridges to legitimizing the things that we make rather than just being upset that people don't use a word that we like or use a word that we don't like. Yeah, that's really it. And also, it's funny because as far as the word artist goes, it's like I don't tend to refer to myself as an artist because, again, we generally think of artist being uh, you know, working in some kind of like making stuff that would go into a gallery or a museum, but not to like crawl too far up my own ass here. But um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not like, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't say <laughs> the, the work I do is not art. I would be much happier to call what I do art than content. It's the kind of thing where it's like art feels like something that, you know, you can be proud that you make. And I'm genuinely like proud of my work. I can't imagine being proud of making content. I don't know about the second part there, but I think of it as like the Roger Ebert video games aren't art thing. And then one of the Penny Arcade guys, Jerry, I think, was like, you take a whole bunch of artists and you put them in a room and they make something. How is the result not art? When you take somebody who is a filmmaker, you, and you are given the task of making to whatever length you want it to be, because films don't have to be a certain length. It's true. You are using the storytelling medium of video, film. What comes out the other side of that 
how is that not you are still a filmmaker? Yeah. No, you're not wrong. And if film is inherently art, art doesn't have to mean good. That's just a thing we assume. That is true. You know what? Uwe Ball is a filmmaker. And an artist. Yeah. He makes bad art, but (laughs) art nonetheless. It's still art. You don't have to like it for it to be art. Yeah. In fact, sometimes you not liking it is what makes it art. It's true. That's totally true. Performance art is art. Yeah. 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 So how about instead of content creators, we just say artist. We're just, you know, the thing about Nebula is we're a collective of artists. <laughs> we're a true artist collective. Yeah. So, okay, we want to get started on the rebrand of the app right now and put that in really big text. Oh, we don't even need to. No, no, we, we don't even need to. Think of it this way. The star, the star logo, it's filled with watercolor. Oh, my God. David, right? That's it's good. been here this whole time, Patrick. That's good. It's right in front of your nose. You didn't even see it. You didn't <sighs> even see it. So do you feel like we've solved this problem? Yes. As in, um, I'm still not going to, I'm still not going to use content any more than I currently do. Are you satisfied? I am currently right here, right now, a content creator. 